0: I don't have any delusions that at one point in time, this country was perfect. It's that we have a system and a a process that was put in place that allowed us to keep moving closer to that promise. And we're all trying to get closer to the promise of America. That's what keeps me hopeful.
1: Welcome to Good Citizen, I'm Ted Roosevelt. In this episode, we talk to Jamu Green, a self-described evangelist for good. She is a passionate leader and an outspoken advocate for fairness and truth. The work that Jamu does with organizations like We Defend Truth and Define American focuses on inspiring people to action, often by deeply engaging with Americans and using the power of storytelling to connect. I'm inspired by her and excited to share our discussion with you. Jamu's been a progressive political analyst with Fox News for over a decade, where, as I tell her during our interview, she brings a calming presence to an often inflammatory content. And as we dig into her work at politics, immigration reform, voter registration, and more, we arrive at a theme that really keeps coming up on the podcast, the power of listening. Listening intentionally is one of the keys to healing our polarized country, because as Jamu says, People just wanna be heard. But despite the rapid spread of misinformation and a bombardment of divisive media messages right now, Jamu Green remains hopeful. And after you listen to her story and her ideas, you might just find yourself a little more hopeful too. Jamu, we're so thrilled to have you on this podcast. You've really spent your career, really the last few decades, working on a number of key American ideals. With your work, you were the CEO of Rock the Vote. You co-founded Define American, and you're now running and co-founded We Defend Truth all organizations that focus on some really key and important concepts, whether it's, you know, voter registration, whether it's immigration policy, whether it's truth in politics, you know, you're a commentator on Fox News, But you're also, you strike me as someone who's never really put, you know, ego first. It's not all about you. And as a result, we sometimes, you know, you don't get seen as much given the quality and the amount of work that you've done. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with you to really explore all the amazing work that you've done.
0: Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to have this conversation. And it's really just been about putting in the work.
1: I'm a believer that the environment, the family dining room table can be an insight into people's approach towards politics. And so I'd love to hear what that environment was like that led you to committing your career and really your life to improving quintessential American ideals.
0: Our dining room table was was really loud <laughs> and I think a lot of immigrant families uh, have similar experiences where your family is in a country that especially, you know, here in America where like, we've got all of these rights and, and they have like just moved mountains to get here. There's a lot of interest and passion around what's going on in politics. And so, yeah, the dinner (laughs) conversations in my family were all about politics. It was all about very loud opinions and, making sure that your voice is heard, but also not being afraid to have that conversation, have that disagreement with someone who had different ideas than you do.
1: I think one of the myths that's maybe a little bit in the back of discourse around American politics, and this is sort of an anecdotal observation, but there's maybe a sense that the longer you've been in this country, the more you care about the country and therefore the louder your voice maybe should be. And in reality, it's often the inverse of that. I mean, and I say that from a family that's been here for 16 generations, and it's easy to take a lot of the rights for granted and not feel that they're as precious and as easily lost. And people that have come to this country, like your parents who, as you described, fought so hard to be here, tend to actually hold them in much higher regard and tend to defend them much more aggressively or much more enthusiastically. Does that resonate on some level?
0: Oh, absolutely. I I think the uh, appreciation for the rights, I mean, also you just have to think of where immigrants are coming from, the countries, the systems that they are fleeing. Like there is a, a, a sense of passion and just love for all that we have to offer as a country that is just front and center and it's it's very easy i think to be born here and and not appreciate it in the same way as someone who has like given up everything they know in many cases language <laughs> and family um generations and all of their resources to get here the appreciation is is definitely front and center and that passion is there.
1: So at what point did you recognize or realize like this was something that you wanted to commit your career to or spend time on?
0: Ooh, I think from an early age, I was always outspoken. I was always you know, very much aware of the idea of fairness. It might be because I was the middle child <laughs> also um, and would see like, you know, the disparity in treatment. Uh, very clearly. When we moved to Austin and in that moment, I was five years old and all of the political leadership in Austin were women. <laughs> and you know, we had a mayor who was a woman and went on to be reelected three times in a row. Barbara Jordan, we had a state rep down here, uh, Wilhelmina Delco, who was just like doing incredible things around education. And I was like, women are political leaders. Like we belong in, you know, in, in leadership. And uh, I I think that perspective is really different from what a lot of young five-year-old girls experience, but I wish more of them could have that. But I think the community that I grew up in as far as really diverse immigrant community where my elementary school had a hundred countries represented. The space of that type of diversity really also informed everything that I do.
1: Was there a moment where you realized or saw, hey, this experience that I'm having is not the experience that other people are having, or even this experience that I'm having isn't persisting in the community that I'm in for some reason.
0: There certainly was a moment when I acutely remember feeling powerless for the first time, and it was when I went to vote for the first time. 18 years old, 1990, Ann Richards was on the ballot, and when I went to cast my ballot, I was told that I wasn't on the list. And in that moment when I was denied uh, that uh, opportunity, especially to vote for Ann Richards, (laughs) it was very clear that I did not want anyone else to feel that way, to feel that powerless, that kind of pain moment. as some people refer to it, I, I like to refer to it as a, a passion moment <laughs> when everything crystallizes. It came from me personally being denied a right.
1: Yeah, and that's such a poignant example just because the first time you vote, particularly if you grow up in a family where politics are, are important, is such a moment of feeling powerful, of feeling a participant in the country's direction. I can imagine just how difficult that was for you. I I cried. (laughs) I bet, I bet.
0: I cried like a baby uh, because I couldn't vote.
1: I think the silver lining here is that to some degree, it at least sent you with more fervor on your path, which has been one that has gotten so many more people registered to vote, so many more people engaged in the democratic process you were the CEO of Rock the Vote, which if you grew up, you know, in my late 20s, I mean, you couldn't avoid Rock the Vote. I mean, they were everywhere. And I think it's to this day, one of the most successful voter registration organizations in the country's history. Is that kind of broadly right?
0: I I like that you said we were everywhere. Uh, We had a just crystal clear focus on wherever young people were, We wanted to put a voter registration, voter education message in front of them. And whether that was through their music or convenience stores or where they were shopping, they make it almost impossible to avoid the opportunity to participate in the process.
1: I've always struggled with why or how the idea of getting more people registered to vote ends up becoming a partisan issue. It's very hard to be opposed making sure that everybody is registered to vote and that everybody participates in the democratic process. Those should be easy ideals for Americans to get behind. And yet, it's extremely difficult.
0: I think it's extremely difficult because once you get into the execution of politics and our two-party system and how... Voter contact is done, uh, in the modern age of, uh, campaigning. That's where people separate kind of the values and, and what we should all be aiming for, which is like full participation in the process of everyone. And just, it's a numbers game. So once you get into the like partisan execution of politics, that numbers game for, very unfortunate reasons, like, takes over, trumps all of those values of, like, full participation. And it's just about the win. Of course, I think anyone who has been in a situation when you have more minds involved, when you have differing opinions involved, knows that the outcome, the product (laughs) is better. But unfortunately, we can't. We can't seem to get there politically these days.
1: What I find a little disheartening and, and what you're so good at, and I've seen you in, in numerous instances talk about sort of staying positive, staying focused on shared values. Do you find that there are ways in which you can talk about things like a more representative democracy that should universally be appealing to Americans that are more effective and less effective in terms of getting people to get behind that?
0: Well, I think in our current political state, it really starts with listening. (laughs) It's not even about the ways that you're talking. Uh, People have literally just stopped listening. We've stopped hearing. (laughs) And like, there's just no way we're going to be able to move forward in any productive way if that remains the case. And uh, the role that the media has played in it, the way that the kind of extremes on both sides of the aisle uh, continue to support that, we're going to have to find a way to break through it to protect our democracy. This
1: theme has come up a couple times uh, in previous conversations this idea of the power of listening. And I think one of the mistakes that people make, particularly people in the political arena, make is the, the idea that listening is inaction and telling people what to do is action. And in reality, I think you hit the nail on the head, more often the most persuasive thing you can do is ask questions and listen. Even if you feel like you're not getting your agenda across, you're actually much more likely, it's sort of a classic salesman technique or salesperson technique is the, if you're asking more questions, you're probably doing a better job convincing someone of what you're doing, yeah?
0: people just want to be heard. We people all just want to be we heard. We all want to be heard and there are shared experiences that we have that can come through listening intentionally that can then help you start to bridge towards having those more difficult conversations and finding common ground and just kind of I think that vulnerability or acknowledgment <laughs> that we're all flawed is is also something that is is desperately needed in our political leadership right now.
1: I was doing some research for this, and whenever you are on Fox News or as a commentator, there's just a sense of calm and and a search of finding kind of the shared values that everybody has that is
0: causing us to be so divided and so hateful as a nation. And right. we are going I, to have know, to get I, to a point where we can move past his hateful language and get back to the American values that built this country. And this president does not represent any of those values as far as I'm concerned. We have to
1: leave it there. Jamu Green, Mark Tyson, thank you so
0: much. One thing that I've learned in my 13 years as a Fox News contributor is that my colleagues are some of the best communicators in the world. Uh, they are very effective in connecting with the audience on shared values. Fear is certainly a shared value that we all have as human beings. So in stepping into that space, it's really important to Find a balance and a contrast to be able to operate on that same playing field as again some of the best communicators in the world, and I I don't think it's a you know punch for punch, <laughs> tip for tat. It's showing a different perspective, bringing my experience to a community to an audience that has maybe never met someone like me and And showing them a possibility that they don't see um, in their normal viewing is really has really been a big part of my goal and my time there. You went on from Rock
1: the Vote to co-founded Define American, and it's focused on kind of immigration issues in the United States. What brought you from voter registration? it's not a huge. Divide, but over to immigration issues. And tell us a little bit about Define American.
0: I think Jose Vargas, the founder of Define American, Pulitzer Prize winner, winning journalist who uh, came out in the New York Times article as an undocumented immigrant. I I think he's just one of our national treasures. And it was an honor to get to work with him to co-found Define American. You know, my parents, as we discussed, immigrated from Liberia, when their visas ran out and there was a coup happening in their country, they stayed, passed their visas. My parents were undocumented. Most people have a binary view of what it is. And you know there are immigrants from all over the world here in the US who have not been able to find a path to citizenship. And so, yeah, when Jose shared his story, knowing the pain that we felt at times when I was little, when one day my mom would have a job and the next day she wouldn't have a job because there were rumors that there was gonna be an INS raid and what that did for how much food was on the table, um, you know, how much resources we had to survive as a family, I I had been through that experience. So Define American has been committed to, you know, really changing the conversation around immigration and sharing the stories of immigrants and the contributions they make, uh, using culture to do that, using media to do that. You know, it's really interesting. I I feel like the first part of my career was really about grassroots activism. And I always saw myself as, it's about you know, those one-on-one, peer-to-peer conversations. But the role of media and culture and the power of it was something I certainly learned at Rock the Vote. And to be able to continue that through the work of Define America has just been an honor. And watching what Jose has been able to build, I think they've been in over 100 writers' rooms in telling the story of immigrants in a more meaningful, more thoughtful, more real way than (laughs) the political conversation has been around this super important issue that, you know, certainly we wouldn't be who we are as a country without the contributions of immigrants. And we need to get back to that. And the, the fact that Define American has been able to help point us in that direction is truly just one of the things I'm most proud of.
1: It's an amazing organization. And even the title, uh, Define American, I think is really very compelling because we're in a moment where as a nation, the definition of an like what it is to be an American is probably the least settled in this moment in time. There's sort of this, I'm, I'm sure during the Civil War, there was probably greater divide over this, but le- at least in the modern era, is there any relationship between the fact that we seem to have less agreement about what it means to be American today and defending the border with more more concern than we have in, in the past? That this has become really this sense of like, we're not quite sure who we are, let's put up walls.
0: I think, you know, we're living in a time where we have technology and, and social media that has unfortunately helped to amplify those divisions and where, you know, with the push of a button, you can mobilize (laughs) so many more people and and so much more division and so much more hate than ever before. But we've gone through periods of struggle between new communities immigrating uh, to our country, and it's, it's not something that I think is, you know, insurmountable. For me, I think what has kind of held me together through these very trying times and challenges with our democracy is just keeping an eye on what is the promise of America? Uh, And it's something that Barbara Jordan talked a lot about. And as long as we can keep moving closer to the promise of America, I, I don't have any delusions that at one point in time in my life, or before I was even here, that this country was perfect. It's that we have a system and a a process that was put in place that allowed us to keep moving closer to that promise. And, you know, whatever I can do as an individual or groups of people, communities can do to like recognize that we're all trying to get closer to the promise of America. That's, I guess, what keeps me hopeful. But I, I definitely recognize that the, the challenge is that all of the technology, all of the, the ways um, <laughs> that are very easily accessible um, for people who don't have those same intentions uh, for our democracy, that perhaps this fight is harder than what has been in the past, but it's not insurmountable.
1: Well, that leads us very nicely to what you're doing now, having co-founded We Defend Truth. You get involved with voter registration, you're involved with immigration policy, and now the idea of truth in politics becomes the sort of, I'm presuming, kind of a preeminent issue for you to address, to focus your time and energy on. Why is it that you felt like this was the time that we really needed to address this issue?
0: Well, I I certainly have spent uh, a good part of the last 13 years um, talking to a community that uh, was becoming just so isolated in the information that they were receiving. And side of the aisle that I found myself on, decided to stop talking to people who didn't agree with our policies. And that just felt wrong. We're not going to make any progress if you just stop talking. And so the work we do at We Defend Truth is to to get truthful information in front of people who have been very specifically targeted by various actors out there with malicious disinformation. And we want to just present the truth to them in a way that connects with them, that engages with them, that validates their concerns. Uh, But ultimately, the work that we're doing at We Defend Truth is based on the idea that we're not just going to give up on a very large number of Americans who uh, have been targeted with disinformation. We're going to get the truth in front of them.
1: Why do you think the ground was so fertile for something like that? Why are there 10 million Americans that believe in the big lie?
0: The focus on the election or climate denial or vaccine disinformation, it's coordinated actors in many ways that like overlap on all of these different issues that push out disinformation for financial benefit and and I think it continues to be as we continue to see the divisions just get bigger and bigger politically.
1: Well, I think it's a really powerful position for you to take and an area to stake out, because I do think in progressive politics and in, in progressive circles, I think, progressives could could avail themselves to being a little bit more open to the conversation right now. And We Defend Truth has got a lot of very innovative ways of communicating with people. It's not just a matter of, let me send a white paper (laughs) over to someone and hope that they read it. And I'm going to bury you in a bunch of facts about why the election wasn't stolen. It's very much meeting people where they are.
0: Yeah, facts don't tend to move people. There's a line by one of my favorite uh, singers Amos Lee, freedom is never found by beating someone down to the ground and the, it, it really just touches my soul every time I hear that because I, I feel like that's where the fight is right now that both sides think that we can just beat the other side into submission and that that's never going to happen
1: there are two questions that we ask everybody on the podcast. And the two questions we ask, the first one is what is one thing everybody can do that can sort of help at this point?
0: I think it starts by being a little uncomfortable. If that is in having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you or uh, consuming media from sources that are not aligned with, Uh, all of your ways of thinking and and issues you agree with, putting yourself in in spaces with people who don't look like you, haven't had the same experience. However you live that uh, kind of stepping out of your comfort zone, it's more important than ever before that we do that. And certainly I think more people who have, different lived experiences should step into leadership, should find ways of making sure that their community's voice is heard, whether that is at the school board level and state house. Um, We pay so much attention to what's happening in D.C., but there are hundreds and hundreds of opportunities for folks to, to lead in their local communities. And we need people who have struggled, who who have like risen above like serious life challenges uh, to be in these positions. And so get a little bit uncomfortable and step into the political arena would be my two pieces of advice.
1: What can we do to encourage more people, particularly more people from, from diverse backgrounds, encourage them to engage in the political system?
0: It starts by asking. You know, there's a lot of research out there around who gets asked to run for office and who doesn't. And uh, especially when you look at like, women running for office, they're, they're not asked. Any one of us who has um, the ability to make connections, to encourage someone to step into the political arena, that simple question or encouragement, when you find someone who's passionate, when you see someone who is willing to put in the work, someone who has courage to say things that are uncomfortable we need to ask them we need to encourage them we each can do that we each know five ten twenty people <laughs> in our lives um so i i think it also has to start by each of us pulling those new voices and uh folks from new communities and different lived experiences into the process as well as stepping in into it ourselves but I'm really optimistic. Uh, I think that there's been some positive backlash to some of the negative things we've seen in politics where you've got more people saying, hey, I saw the impact of local leadership during the pandemic. I, I need to get in this arena. I've seen the damage that can be done when someone who doesn't care about a community has a lot of political power Someone who's not as smart as me, someone who doesn't have the experience as me. And a lot of people are, are are making the decision to get involved as a part of that backlash. So I want to focus on how we ride that wave and continue to move closer to the promise of America.
1: Well, that's awesome. And I don't know we're going to end on a better note than that one. So thank you very, very much. This has been a joy for me to have this conversation with you. We don't have a huge spotlight, but then we get a little bit of a spotlight that we can shine on you because I think it's well-deserved.
0: Well, thank you. I'm honored and I look forward to staying connected and just thank you for having these conversations because it's that's what's going to get us there.
1: Good Citizen is produced by the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library's content studio. Thanks so much to Jamu for taking time to speak with me. I'm moved by the simple point she just made here, that it starts by asking. Let's all take some time to think about those talented, engaged, hardworking people that we all know and encourage them to step into the political arena. If we can pull new voices in, those fresh perspectives might make a real difference. You can find out more about Jamu at jammugreen.com. That's J-E-H-M-U-G-R-E-E-N-E.com. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review. It's something that really helps us reach new listeners. And make sure you're following the podcast so you don't miss a new one when they drop. Good Citizen is produced by the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library in collaboration with The Future of Storytelling and Charts and Leisure. You can learn more about TR's upcoming presidential library at trlibrary.com.